We will go to any links necessary to promote small groups around here. You should have seen all the secret service around the ministry center this week as he came in to video that for us. So take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Revelation as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. We are in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 13 today. It's on page 496. If you're using one of the Bibles, you may have picked up when you came in this morning. How many guys have noticed how difficult it is today to find peace and quiet, especially if you have children? <laughs> you know, it's hard to find peace and quiet today. It's hard to find silence and solitude. Uh, you know, used to we'd hear a lot about air pollution. Now you hear a lot about noise pollution. Uh, you know, especially in this area that we live in, in uh, Metro Denver, when we have friends and family that come in to visit us, I tell us, yeah, we live in the land of planes, trains, and automobiles out here. There's always planes going by and trains going by and cars and things like that. You know, even when you go to a restaurant today, it's, it's difficult to have silence and a nice meal and peace and quiet. It seems like, you know, either the restaurant has the music up really loud and you got to talk over that or you, have you noticed how they try to cram as many people in a restaurant as they can so the tables are right, you feel like you're having dinner with everybody and some of the loud restaurants and, and then people are talking on their cell phones and you're hearing conversations and, and those kind of things and we, uh, as you know, the church sent us on a cruise a couple of weeks ago and we got back from that and while we were there, we got to visit several islands and a couple of different days we went to some of the beaches of the islands in the southern Caribbean and we thought, well surely when we go to the beach, you know, we can just sit back and get a little bit of sun and have some nice peace and quiet wrong. I mean, there were kids running around and screaming. There were people on the island every five minutes literally wanting to come up and sell you something or give you a foot massage or make something for you. And, and, and so there wasn't silence. It's hard to find silence today and peace and quiet. But you know what? Not all silence is good either. I heard a story about a couple. Uh, they were a married couple and they were, they were taking a trip, about a five-hour drive to see some friends and they're driving through Kansas and they got into a big argument. I know that that's hard for any of you to imagine. Husband and wife get a big argument on a trip, but they get in a big argument and they're yelling and screaming and finally they decide to give each other what's called the silent treatment. You've heard of that? And so they give each other the silent treatment and so nobody's saying anything for like 45 minutes, just silence. And they're driving by this farm on the highway on I-70 and the husband looks over and there's cows and pigs and goats and he looks out the window and he breaks the silence and he says to his wife, he says, hey, hey, look, there's some of your relatives out there. She just calmly looked out the window, didn't turn back to look at him and just said, yeah, looks like my in-laws. Oh, yeah. Well, at least they were talking again. Well, you know what? As we continue our study today in the book of Revelation, we've entitled this Return of the King, A Journey Through Revelation, as we're going verse by verse through this book, which is the way we study the Bible here at the Orchard Church. Um, we're going to find some silence in heaven, but it hasn't always been that way. As we've studied through this book so far, every time John describes heaven, it's anything but a silent place. It's any, anything but a peace and quiet. We've seen worship in heaven. We've seen shouts of joy and praise in hell of heaven and celebration is taking place. And, and there's a lot of activity going on in heaven. But now as we get into Revelation chapter 8, we're going to see today a moment of silence. Heaven is literally going to fall silent for 30 minutes leading up 
to the next judgments that are going to take place in Revelation chapter 8. What's brought us this far is we went through Revelation chapter 6, and you remember Jesus the Lamb is in heaven, and all this is taking place during the tribulation. Uh, the rapture of the church has taken place. Now the people that are left on the earth are going through seven years of tribulation, and God's judgment is happening. And there was a seven-sealed book in heaven as Jesus the Lamb began to open each of those seals. Judgments begin to come up on the earth. We saw six of those seals opened in Revelation chapter 6. We saw a bit of peace and calm last week in chapter 7 as we called it the eye of the storm and there were 144,000 that came to Christ and they led other people to Christ and there really weren't any judgments in Revelation 7 but now as we get into Revelation 8 the peace and quiet and calm is going to be broken after 30 minutes of silence as the seventh seal of the seven sealed scroll is opened and it's going to open the seven trumpet judgments so the seven sealed judgments as we go into Revelation 8 are coming to a close and the seventh seal is going to open the seven trumpet judgments that will lead into the seven bowl judgments. And then we're going to see the destruction of Babylon and the return of Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're at. I've entitled today's message, The Terrible Trumpets of Revelation chapter 8. The Terrible Trumpets. Let's go ahead and pray and let's jump into our study today and see what this 30 minutes of silence is all about. Father, thank you for your word today. I thank you for the second service, everyone that is here. Uh, we pray, Lord, like the first service, that you would touch our hearts and minds, that you'd help us to understand the things we're studying and reading are real. Uh, they are prophetic. And just as every other prophecy in your word has come true, these will as well. And we pray that we would prepare our hearts and our lives uh, for them and that we would accept Christ, those that don't know Christ, that they would come to Christ so they can be raptured and not have to go through these judgments. But we are thankful that even in the midst of these judgments, we still, still see your grace and your mercy and your love being poured out and giving people an opportunity to be saved if they will turn to you. And we just pray that we be uh, doers of your word and not just hearers today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the four. We're going to look at four experiences of John today in Revelation chapter 8 that he describes for us. The first experience, if you're taking notes this morning, number one, is the pause. This 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Revelation chapter 8, look at the first verse. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half of an hour. I heard one uh, radio preacher was uh, studying this, and he was teaching on this verse right here, that there was 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And this radio preacher said, this proves right here there will be no women in heaven. I think he was taken off the air immediately after that statement, as he should have been. That's not what this teach is teaching at all. But why is there 30 minutes of silence? Well, this is a prelude to the judgments that are going to begin again as the seventh seal is open and the seven trum trumpet judgments begin to take place. Now, there are key moments of silence throughout the Bible that happen before judgment. Let me remind you of just a couple of them, and there are several. You remember the story of Noah and the ark and his family and God before he brought the judgment of a worldwide flood that destroyed everybody on the earth because of their wickedness and sin, except for Noah and his family in the ark. You remember that. But what you may not remember is that they went into the ark and they were in the ark for seven days and there were seven days of silence sitting in the ark just before the judgment of God came. Another moment of silence took place when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he took the judgment of sin upon himself and paid that price for us by giving his body and his blood for us. And the Bible tells us in, in the Gospels that from noon to three o'clock when Jesus was on the cross receiving that judgment, there was silence and the, and the earth fell dark. And so we see these preludes of silence just before judgment in several places in Scripture, and we again see it here as we go into Revelation chapter 8, and the seven trumpet judgments are about to take place. There's this eerily divine silence before judgment comes. 
You know, silence can be very eerie. And if I were to stand here for five minutes and not say anything, you would get uncomfortable. You know something is about to happen. And we have 30 minutes of silence in here in Revelation chapter 8. It, it reminds me of something like my wife, one of her favorite shows to watch is 48 Hours Unsolved Mysteries. Anybody else like that show? And uh, she loves to watch that show. And, and usually at some point in that show, they have you know the person who's on trial and they're trying to figure out if they did the murder or not. And then they'll have the jury come in with the verdict and they'll take that piece of paper and they'll carry that over to the judge. And just before the judge reads the verdict and the judgment comes down, there's silence. And everybody's anticipating what is about to happen. That's exactly the scene in heaven. As 30 minutes of silence takes place in preparation for the judgment to begin with the trumpets. Now Zephaniah, the prophet, in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 7 said this, describing the tribulation period. He said, be silent in the presence of the Lord. For the day of the Lord is at hand, a day of trumpet and alarm. And that's exactly what we're going to see. The silence was the lull before the storm, if you will, as the trumpets are about to be blown and the winds of judgment are unleashed once again. The second experience of John in chapter 8, we move from the pause and the 30 minutes of silence to the prelude. The prelude of the seven trumpet judgments. We read about it in verse 2. John said, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. The prelude to the judgments. Seven angels are given seven trumpets, and each trumpet will represent one of the judgments that is about to take place. Now, why trumpets? Well, there's a significance of trumpets throughout the Bible if you study trumpets out. Trumpets were used for several different things. Uh, they were uh, used to assemble people together for some purpose, to, to get their attention, to bring them together. They were used to signal a battle that was about to begin, and trumpets were used to uh, announce a celebration or a feast or a return of a king, a king that would be coming into town. Trumpets were used for those purposes. In other words, if you boiled it all down, trumpets in the Bible were used to get people's attention. And God's about to get the world's attention during the tribulation as these trumpet judgments are about to take place. Now when we think of a trumpet today, we think of, you know, a gold or a silver instrument with three keys or three valves and somebody plays in a band. But back in the Bible days, that's not what a trumpet was at all. It was actually what is called a shofar. And what a shofar is, is a ram's horn that's been hollowed out and you would blow into it uh, like a trumpet. And this is, was no doubt what John was describing uh, that they used in the Bible, the shofar, uh, to get people's attention and call people together. And uh, this one actually came from Israel. Uh, we took a group of 12 from our church about a year and a half ago. Last year we went to uh, Israel and uh, Deanna Dragu bought this in Israel and brought it back. And I knew I was doing this message today, so she let me borrow it. Now, some of you all know I was a music major in college, and I had to learn how to play lots of different instruments. They never taught me how to play the shofar. But I practiced a little bit this week, so I'm going to give it a try. It isn't easy, but, and it didn't go well in the first service. So I'm praying that God's going to help me out a little better in the second service. See if I can get this thing to blow, all right? I think it's the nerves that can't do it right. Let's see what we got here. Yeah! That was a lot better than the first service. It was. Let me show you what it sounded like in the first service. <laughs> Something like sounded like a dying ram is what it sounded like. 
But that's a shofar. That's, that's the biblical instrument of a trumpet. And that's what we're going to see is seven of those are blown and each one triggers one of these judgments. Now this isn't the first time in Revelation that we've seen trumpets blown. Remember back in Revelation chapter 4, John heard a trumpet and then he was raptured. He was caught up into heaven, which we believe is a picture of the church. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us that when the church is raptured, God is going to call us together with the voice of a trumpet. And now we see another trumpet, but it's not calling people to heaven for the rapture. It's calling people together for the judgments that are about to take place on the earth. It reminds us of the seven priests that blew seven trumpets as they marched around the city of Jericho in the Old Testament. Remember when God brought the judgment on the the town of Jericho and the walls fell down? And God said, take seven priests with seven trumpets and on the seventh day march around seven times. And now we're seeing that again. In Revelation chapter 8, seven trumpets. But you know, I think there's a practical question we need to ask before we move on and study these judgments. We've seen two trumpets so far in Revelation. Revelation 4, the trumpet that is the rapture that calls the believers, the church to heaven. But here in Revelation 8, it's going to be those that are left behind to hear the trumpets of judgment. I believe with all my heart, we are living in the generation that will receive the return of Christ. I do believe that with all my heart. I'm not a date setter. Bible says nobody knows the day or the hour. But I believe as you study the scriptures and you look at what's going on in our world, I believe that it's very likely it will happen in my lifetime and in your lifetime. And I ask you this practical question. If that is, in fact, what happens, if we see the return of Christ, which trumpet will you hear? Will you hear the trumpet of Revelation 4 that calls you to heaven? You get raptured with the church and you get to escape all of the tribulation? Or are you going to hear, are you going to be left behind? Because you don't know Christ and you hear the trumpets of judgment. Yeah, I got great news today. Nobody here has to be afraid of the trumpets in Revelation 8. If you accept Christ, you get to hear the Revelation chapter 4 trumpet. That's the one you want to hear. Amen, church? So that's a good question to ask. But this prelude also, before it includes trumpets, it includes prayers. I want you to notice in verse 3 and 4, this prelude contains the prayers of the saints in heaven. Now the prayers of the saints doesn't mean the prayers of good dead people, as some like to describe saints. Saints in the Bible are believers. Believers that are in heaven, believers that are on on the earth that have accepted Christ. And look at verse 3 and 4. Then another angel... Having a golden censer came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints before the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now this is no doubt a picture of the Old Testament priests. We have one on the screen here. In the Old Testament temple there was what was called the golden altar. And the priest would come in the morning and in the evening and he would burn incense on the altar and it was a picture of the prayers of God's people going up before God and before his throne. But now we see the same thing, the same exact scene described by John happening as a prelude to these trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8, which begs the question, what do these prayers have to do with the trumpet judgments that are about to take place? And the answer is everything, everything. Look at verse 5 and 6, and we'll see why. Then the angel took the censer, which was the representative of the prayers, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And now we move from 30 minutes of silence to there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. All of this happening on the earth as the judgments are starting to take place again. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So what is about to happen is in response to our prayers. 
You may not realize this, there, but there is a prayer that has been prayed for 2,000 years, probably the most popular prayer. People who aren't even believers have prayed this prayer and memorized this prayer for 2,000 years. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 11 and some of the other Gospels. And when Jesus was here, he said, if you want to know how to pray, let me help you out. Here's some ways you should pray. And you remember how the prayer goes? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then what's the next thing? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many of y'all have ever prayed that prayer before? Probably many times. Maybe you've taught it to your kids. What you may not have realized is for 2,000 years, Christians have been praying that prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And what we're about to see as we move through Revelation, by the time we get to Revelation chapter 20, guess what happens? The kingdom comes. Jesus brings his literal kingdom to this earth. And so that is an answer to this prayer. Anytime you pray to God, your kingdom come, you are praying that Jesus Christ would return. But not only that, you're praying for these judgments because it's part of God's will and God's plan. You didn't realize you guys have been praying for the judgments we're going to be reading about. That may make you think a little differently when you say your kingdom come. But it's all part of God's will. It's all part of God's plan. And that's what we see happening right here in Revelation chapter 8. That prayer of the kingdom to come begins these judgments because you see the judgments have to take place so the world can be rid of sin and evilness and wickedness to prepare the way for the king. If that makes sense, say yes. And so that's part of what we're praying. So all these judgments are preparing the way for the return of the king and these trumpet judgments that are about to sound. Now I do want to make this very practical today. And so let me, let me give you three practical truths real quick before we move on into these judgments about prayer. Because prayer is very important. And I want to give you three practical truths about the power of prayer. Number one is this. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate it. We see right here in verse 4, our prayers are so powerful, we are going to be a part of ushering in the kingdom and these judgments that are taking place because God hears our prayers. You know, we talk about how important it is that we have a good relationship with Jesus Christ. Not religion, relationship, a personal relationship. And with any relationship, there has to be good communication. If you want to have a better relationship with your spouse, with your kids, you need to communicate more. Well, the way that God communicates and talks to us today is through this, the Bible. That's why we call it God's Word. But how do we communicate with God? Through our prayers. We pray and we talk to God. That's how you develop. It's, it's really simple to understand, just sometimes hard to do, is that we let God speak to us through His Word. We speak to God through prayer and we communicate to Him. But Many times I think when we're praying, we think we're trying to bring God down to us. But really, prayer is not us trying to get God to bring Him down to us, but it brings us up to God. It brings us closer to God. It draws us close to Him. That's what, what happens when we pray. It, it brings us and our hearts close to God. It's kind of like illustration I heard about a guy that was in a boat, and he was you know, several feet off the shore, and he wanted to come to the shore. So he took a rope, and he threw it onto the shore around a rock, and then he began to pull himself to the shore and to the rock. Now, was he pulling the rock to him, or was he pulling himself to the rock? Well, he was certainly pulling himself to the rock. Every time that we pray to God, that's what we're doing. We're not really pulling God to us. We're pulling, God is pulling us to him. And, and it's very powerful when we pray. Let me give you another practical application of prayer. God's timing is not always our timing. 
We need to remember this about prayer. God's timing is not always our timing. If you've learned that in your life, would you say yes? God's timing is not always our timing. I believe God answers every prayer. Absolutely. Sometimes He answers yes. Sometimes His answer is no. We don't always like that answer, but that is an answer. Sometimes His answer is not yet. The timing isn't right. That's what we're seeing right here in Revelation. You'll remember back in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, remember the martyrs, those people who were martyred for their faith during the tribulation period? They came to Christ, and they were martyred. They go to heaven, and they're crying out to God and saying, God, when will you avenge our blood and our lives? And He said, I will, but not yet. But now, as these judgments take place, He is avenging their death and their martyrdom. I don't know if you have this in your notes, but you might want to write this down when it comes to prayer and waiting on God's timing. Remember this. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. He just wants us to be patient and wait. Maybe you're praying for something in your life right now, and God just says, not yet. Be patient. The psalmist in Psalm 27, 14 reminded, reminded us of this truth. It's difficult for us as humans, but we need to remember and apply. Wait on the Lord. If we just remember that, it'd keep us out of a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart in His timing. Wait, I say, the psalmist says, on the Lord. Let me give you a third truth about prayer, and it's this. God's will will be done. You believe that? Say yes. God's will will be done. We can't stop it. We can't start it. It's just when God's time is right, His will will be done. When we, get, when we pray, your kingdom come, when we get to Revelation 20, we're going to see, and I can't wait to get there, the kingdom is going to come. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You do have this in your notes, and you need to, we need to all remember this. Prayer is not about getting our will done in heaven, but it's about getting God's will done on earth. That, we need to remember that in our prayers. So we've seen here the pause, the silence for 30 minutes. We've seen the prelude to the judgments and the prayers of the saints. And now we move, number three in your outline, to the third experience of John, the punishment. The trumpets are about to sound. Every judgment, I want you to understand, from here on is the result of the seventh seal being opened. The seventh seal opens the seven trumpet judgments, which then open the seven bowl judgments. And each of these judgments will intensify with each one that happens. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. It gets more difficult, and they intensify. We, I want to break these trumpets, these seven trumpet judgments, into two groups, because that's what happens in Scripture. The first uh, four trumpets have mainly to do the judgments with the earth. These are mainly judgments that take place that directly affect the earth. Now, it certainly will affect mankind as well, but the judgment comes on the earth. The second group, the, uh, the final three trumpets, mainly affect humanity itself. So we're just going to look today at the first four of the seven. We'll look at the next three uh, next week. And what you'll notice about the first four is the first four trumpet judgments deal primarily, as I said, with the earth. Now, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people have different opinions about the earth and the world and how much we should take care of it or not and all these things. Let me just share my opinion, and it's my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But I believe that man has failed this earth in two extremes, waste and worship. I think man has failed this earth in two extremes, waste and worship. Let me explain. I think one extreme how we failed the earth is in waste. Because let's not forget that God did make the earth. He did create it, 
And he created it for us. And remember when he created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden? And remember what he told them to do? He said, Adam, tend the garden. Take care of it. You know, take care of the resources and the gifts that God has given us. And it's sad that we haven't always heeded God's call on that. How many of you guys have heard of the, the large garbage patches that are in the oceans? Any of you familiar with this? They say there's five major ones. The largest one is in the Pacific Ocean about a thousand miles north of Hawaii. It's twice the size of Texas. And it's just garbage. And it's garbage that's been thrown into the waters in the ocean. And it's, they said it's kind of in this vortex, this whirlpool, and it's just spinning. They said it's twice the size of Texas and it doubles in size every decade. Trash that we've just trashed. And that's certainly one extreme. I don't believe God wants us trashing the earth that he's given us. But there's another extreme, and that is not waste, but it's worship. You know, people who worship the creation instead of the creator. Paul addressed this in Romans chapter 1. He said, worship the creator that made the creation. You know, we're not supposed to worship, you know, the beautiful mountains and, and scenery in Colorado. They're beautiful and we love them. But every time I see them, I think, wow, what an awesome God that made those mountains. I don't worship the mountains, but I worship the God that made them. And I'm thankful that he gave them to us. And so we don't, we don't want to fall to the extreme of, of being a waster or a worshiper of our earth. You know, sometimes we say those that worship the earth, you know, we call them bunny lovers or tree huggers. I think I got a little tree hugger up there. Uh, that was from treehuggersofamerica.org. And, uh, you know, we laugh about those things. But in all seriousness, it's sad that some human beings are more interested in saving trees and baby seals than saving baby humans. And that's sad. That's, that's, that's an extreme that God did not intend for us to go to when it comes to the earth. You know, we hear a lot today about global warming. That's a hot topic, no pun intended. Talking about global warming. And, you know, I don't get too freaked out by global warming. I, I thought this little guy was cute. You know, evidently he's experiencing some global warming there on what's left of his iceberg. But, you know what, guys? If you know the Bible, don't get too freaked out and worried about global warming. Because as we get to Revelation chapter 6, there's going to be some serious global warming take place. Those of you all that know Revelation know what's coming and what I'm talking about. Where it says that people are going to be literally scorched on the earth. And so this is something God's going to do that we can't stop. But it is interesting. There was a show on 2020. Uh, did a documentary recently about global warming and did a study. And they found that in the last hundred years, the earth has only risen one degree. One degree in the last hundred years. And they said if you go back 2,000 years, it actually has gone down in temperature. So ladies, you don't need to worry about your aerosol hairsprays. Men, have your backyard barbecues. It doesn't matter. It's, gonna, it's all going to be done. You know, God's will will be done. That's how I look at it. So I do care about the environment. I do think we should take care of the earth, but I don't worship the, the earth. And I don't worship the creation. I worship the creator. Because as we're going to see as we move forward in tribulation, it's all going to be gone one of these days anyway. So we need to keep these in a biblical balance. Now, I want you to see these judgments take place as the first four trumpets that affect the earth occur. Let's look at the first one. The first one directly affects the earth. If you have it in your outline, letter A. The earth, verse 7. The angel sounded the first trumpet, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Earth Day is going to be a washout that year, I'm sure. It's not going to go well. As a third of the trees are burned, and the Bible says all the green grass will be burned up. You know, I, I've actually honestly even thought, as you look in Colorado, we have this horrible pine beetle problem. 
in the trees. And I've often thought, you know, is God like allowing that to happen to prepare for when most of the trees are going to be burned up? I don't know, but it is interesting. You know, we try to fix it and nobody seemed to be able to do something about it. But after, it's interesting if you look back in the Bible in Genesis, when God created everything, right after God separated the land from the sea in Genesis, you know what the first thing that he made was? The Bible says the first thing he did, the first thing he made was the grass and the trees. And then now you get to the first trumpet judgment and it's the first thing to be destroyed and the first thing to go. You know, as we look at these judgments, you, these are not the first time that God has used these kind of judgments on places in the earth. You remember when God brought judgment on the land of Egypt when they had the children of Israel in bondage and God wanted the Pharaoh to let them go, so he sent all those plagues? If you remember that, say yes. You'll see that many of these judgments in Revelation, God already gave us a glimpse of them back in Egypt. The seventh plague in Egypt, um, hail and fire came down from heaven. This also, God did this judgment on a wicked city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And so here it comes again, but now it's not just on Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not just on Egypt. The whole world is being affected by this. Now, this fire that God is going to send down from heaven, we don't know exactly how he's going to do it. Uh, some scholars have thought, if you look back in verse 5, it says that there's going to be these thunderings and lightnings and earthquakes taking place. So possibly this is a firestorm that is a result of the thunderings and lightnings that we read about in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 8. But either way, Joel the prophet, and you can go back in the Old Testament, and you know what all the Old Testament prophets were talking about? They're talking about the second coming of Christ. Even before he came the first time. They're talking about the day of the Lord, the second coming, these times of judgment. And Joel described it this way. And it lines, I mean, this was written hundreds of years before John wrote it in Revelation. And listen to what Joel said. He described the tribulation period. He said, I will show you wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Just like John is describing in Revelation chapter 8. You know, we know the devastating effects that can happen when hailstorms take place. Some of you right here in Commerce City had this happen to you last year. And we had a big hailstorm in this area. And it looked like a war zone. I mean, with, with hail, after that happened for like 10, 15 minutes, and it came down, they're still repairing roofs. And, you know, that's just a microcosm of what's going to happen to the whole earth when this first trumpet judgment sounds. And thankfully, we didn't have any fire and blood with that storm. And you know just the damage that the hail did. But I want to say this. As we look at each of these judgments, and we've looked at them before, back in you know, Revelation chapter 6, and we look at them in chapter 8 and chapter 9, and the bold judgments, many Bible scholars and theologians and people who study the Bible, they come to Revelation and they try to, try to explain every one of these judgments with something that we have in our natural known world already. Something in nature, something with science. And, and, and sometimes we can explain it that way and, and, and understand, yeah, we've, we've seen hailstorms before. But I want you to understand, these judgments are going to be supernatural acts of God. And we may not understand all of them. We may not have seen them before, but that doesn't mean God can't do it. Amen? And so, I mean, I was reading some commentaries and scholars, and it's almost like they had to figure out how to scientifically explain one of these. We don't need to do that. God is God, and He's supernatural, and He can make these things happen however He wants to make them happen. So take that in that context, because some people get messed up in Revelation because they go, well, we've never seen that before. How could that happen? Well, anything can happen when God's involved. And so keep that in context. We move from the first trumpet judgment to the second judgment, the second trumpet, which affects the seas. We move from the earth to the seas. Look at verse 8 and 9. 
Then a second angel sounded the trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. This second trumpet causes a third of the sea to turn to blood, a third of the ships destroyed, and a third of the sea life dies. Now, I don't know about you guys, I like red lobster. But it's going to be a bad year if you're a seafood lover when this happens. I mean, seafood lover in you is going to have a problem when a third of the sea life is destroyed. This is going to be a, an ecological and economic disaster of unprecedented proportions unlike this earth has ever seen. Now, I want you to notice, and if you don't mind underlining in your Bible, you might want to underline this. When John says he saw something like a great mountain, just underline that word like. That simple little word like. I've taught you guys before in Bible study, that when you're studying the Bible, two of the most important words in Bible study are two simple words, like and as. Because God uses them throughout Scripture. He'll say, this is like this, or this is as this. And He'll use something figurative to tell us something literal. And a lot of people get really messed up when studying the book of Revelation because they don't remember that simple Bible study truth. And John, many times he tells us things that are actually going to happen, and then sometimes he tells us things that figuratively are going to happen, or he's using figurative language to illustrate it because he doesn't know what else to call it. And notice what he says here. Now, in, the, in, the, in verse 7, he says, hail and fire mingle with blood. He didn't say it's like blood or like fire. He said it is. It's literal. But when he comes to verse 8, he says, he sees this thing thrown into the sea that is like a great mountain. So it's not literally a mountain burning up, thrown in the sea, but it's like a mountain. Do, do you understand the difference? Say yes. He didn't know what to call it. He just said, but man, it's like this huge mountain that's on fire gets thrown into the sea. And we could take guesses at what this may be, but we don't know for sure. Maybe it's a large meteor that John saw. Maybe it's an asteroid. How many of y'all saw the movie uh, Armageddon? Remember that movie? You know where they got the idea for the movie Armageddon? Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, where in the movie, a large you know, asteroid the size of Texas was coming to, to uh, you know, destroy the earth. And, and that is really what John is describing here. It's like this large mountain that's going to affect a third of the seas. Now, we know that 71% of our earth right now, and always has been, is water. It's, it's seas. 71% of the earth is ocean. And if you want to get the context of a, what this would be like for it to affect a third of the seas, um, the Atlantic Ocean is a third of all of our oceans. So this is going to affect something the size of the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, this is huge. And again, this has happened before, something similar. If you remember the first plague back in Egypt, God turned the waters of the Nile into, you remember what? Blood. And that's what John is describing here. You know, this would no doubt cause some kind of gigantic tsunami effect. Um, something like what happened in East Asia several years ago when a 9.1 earthquake uh, took place out in the ocean and then it caused a huge tsunami. They said there were over 100 foot waves and 250,000 people died. Well, you can imagine when something the size of a mountain burning lands in the sea, the tsunami effect this would cause. John tells us here also that, that, that a third of the ships would be destroyed. They tell us today that there are 30,000 ocean-going merchant ships today. I mean, it's how we do business around the world. And a third of them would be gone. 10,000 merchant ships destroyed when this second trumpet 
is blown during the trumpet judgment. It's going to be devastating. Let me give you the third trumpet judgment as John gives the description here. And this one affects the waters. Not the seas, but the natural waters. In verse 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And that's important as we describe this in a moment. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, or the wells. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the stars became Wormwood, or a third of the water, excuse me. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The waters are now polluted when the third trumpet judgment is sounded. National Geographic tells us there's a hundred principal rivers in the world today where we get our primary water source, our drinking water from. Uh, The largest being the Amazon River. It's 4,000 miles long to the smallest, which is the Rio de la Plata. It's 150 miles long. And the third trumpet judgment causes a third of the water supply on the earth to be poisoned. It becomes undrinkable. John tells us here the name of this star is called Wormwood. Now, if you guys have read through your Bible, you've read this word Wormwood before. It's found eight times in the Old Testament. And you might later just go to a little Bible study on Wormwood. Because every time you find the word Wormwood in the Old Testament, it is always associated with bitterness, poison, and death that is brought on by some kind of judgment from God. Now, as you read this, John says he saw a star fall from heaven, but he doesn't stop there. He said it was burning like a torch, as if the star had like a burning tail. You know, it was a torch behind it. Wasn't, it's like it wasn't just a star, but maybe many stars. And some scholars have thought that maybe what John was describing was a comet. Maybe even uh, the most well-known comet, which would be Halley's Comet. We don't know, but it's possible. Um, we know that... Astronomers have told us for years that if Halley's Comet was to just move slightly off its current course, that the Earth would be in the path of its tail, the torch tail of Halley's Comet. Maybe that's what John is seeing. We don't know. But here's another interesting possible explanation. Something that happened just in the last 25 years. On April 16, 1986, there was an accident in Russia at a power plant called Chernobyl. How many of y'all remember that? Chernobyl power plant. When one of the nuclear reactors exploded and it sent this radioactive dust into the air that they said was 40 times more radioactivity than what was in the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And it destroyed and leveled cities during that time. And they said, you know, it was falling, you know, just all this debris and radioactivity. And some have thought maybe what John is describing is some kind of nuclear disaster, nuclear fallout. And we certainly, you can't turn on the TV, you know, and listen to the news that there's not a scare right now about, you know, the nuclear uh, capabilities of Iran and North Korea. And and we know there's going to be wars breaking out during the tribulation. And maybe this is a fallout of nuclear war. We, We don't know. But here's something that was really interesting. Bible scholars really, uh, their attention was, was, was definitely uh, aroused when this happened back in 1986 because check this out. The, the name of the power plant was Chernobyl. Chernobyl is the Russian word for wormwood. Interesting. Maybe God's trying to tell us something. We don't know. But here's the point. It's sad to think that those who've rejected Jesus Christ during the tribulation the, the, the Lord who offer, offered them living water to drink from will one day be left behind to deal with undrinkable water that's poisonous. And then let's look at the fourth and the final one today, the fourth trumpet. And this one affects the heavens. 
In verse 12, Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So the third of them were darkened, and the third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. The fourth trumpet judgment will affect the whole world as the earth becomes eerily dark. I mean, you can imagine this will cause a radical drop in the earth's temperature at this time. Maybe we're worried about the wrong thing. Maybe it's not global warming we need to be worried about, but it's, it's when a third of the world falls dark. 33% reduction in daylight. Eight hours of light and 16 hours of darkness. You know, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know if it's an eclipse or what. But I know this. The God that said, let there be light and turned it on can say, turn it off. And he does. And this is likened to the ninth plague in Egypt when darkness fell on the land for three days. Amos the prophet described this and he said in Amos 5.18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what is the day of the Lord to you? It will be a day of darkness and not light. You know, John in John chapter 3 verse 19 in his gospel said this, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world. And that, that light was a person and his name was what, church? Jesus Christ, he was the light of the world. John said, light came into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And isn't it a sad thought that the people who rejected Jesus, the light of the world, will one day get the darkness that they deserve and they are asking for and they desire. But it will not be pleasant when it happens. But amongst all these judgments again... In a Christ-rejecting world, we still see a gracious and merciful God. You say, man, how do you find light at the end of the tunnel? How do you find good news out of this, Pastor Doug? Well, if you know what to look for, it's here. Because did you notice as we read through Revelation chapter 8, how many times God said a third? A third of the waters, a third of the seas, a third of the ships, a third of the sea life. He keeps using this word, a third. This judgment came upon a third. You see, 11 times he uses the language, a third, letting us know that God is not to the point yet of destroying everything and everybody, which tells me they still have a chance. These are still people that are left behind that the 144,000 can witness to, and God is still, he's getting their attention through these trumpets being blown, saying, come to Christ, be saved before it's too late. I know this for sure because look what happens in the last verse, and this gives us the final fourth point today, the proclamation. And look what happens. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And if you don't mind in your Bibles, underline inhabitants of the earth. That's very important. We're going to close with that this morning. Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets, the final three judgments of the three angels who are about to sound, and we'll look at those next week in Revelation chapter 9. After the fourth trumpet judgment, God sends this special messenger to God's people to get their attention one more time. And it says he sends an angel. How many of all your Bibles say eagle? Some of you, your Bibles say eagle? A few of you? Yeah, it was about half and half in the first service. Um, this could be really translated either way, angel or eagle, because it's an angel that looks like an eagle that God sends as this messenger. It, some scholars have said they think maybe this is the angel, the creature we, we study back in Revelation chapter 4. Remember the four creatures were around the throne, and one of the angels John described looked like an eagle. And maybe this is the angel that God sends forth. But here's why. He sends this angel, this eagle-like angel, as a messenger to those on the earth during the tribulation period. And there's three woes. Woe, woe, woe. And these three woes represent the final three of the seven trumpets that are to come that we'll see in Revelation 9. So God just kind of takes a break for a second, sends this messenger and says, woe, woe, woe. And you know what he, the, this creature is saying? 
The, the worst is yet to come. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Turn to Christ before it's too late. Get saved. You have one last opportunity. And I, I see here again a God of grace, mercy, and love that even amidst the judgments, He's sending a messenger to give people another chance. I love that about God, don't you? Say yes. You just keep, if you know what to look for. So, so many times people study Revelation, they go through Revelation, they only pick out all this doom and gloom, and, and they miss the little nuggets of God's love, mercy, and grace. And I close with this. Notice who He's calling out to, not just anybody. It's to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, the inhabitants of the earth are not just people living on the earth, but rather it's those who are living for the earth, those who are living for the world, those who have turned their back on Christ. It's the opposite of those who have their citizenship in heaven. Paul talked about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship for believers is in heaven. It's not in the earth. It's in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for Jesus to come back and take us to our eternal home where we really belong. And I'm certainly looking forward to that. Aren't you? Amen? But these are the inhabitants of the earth who have not accepted Christ yet. And in Hebrews, it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, but now they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. This is talking about believers. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. As we close, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is your spiritual citizenship today? Because every person has a spiritual citizenship in one of two places. It's either in heaven, our eternal home, or it's in the earth to be left behind to face these judgments, and then finally, the worst judgment of all, to be separated from God for all eternity. Where is your citizenship today? Now here's the great news. Amidst all this judgment and these trumpets, here's the good news. You can become a citizen of heaven today. Right now, where you sit. You can escape these judgments, and you can turn to Christ and know you're part of His family. You know, sometimes we talk about dual citizenship. Somebody will say, you know, I'm a citizen of the United States and a citizen of Mexico or, or some other place. But you know what? There are no dual citizenships when it comes to God. You're either a citizen of heaven or you're a citizen of the earth. And we looked at trumpets. Which trumpet will you hear? The trumpet of the rapture that takes God's citizens, God's people to heaven forever or the trumpets of these judgments. I would encourage you to become a citizen of heaven today and be waiting on the trumpet that calls you home. Would you bow?